Welcome to LifeSide Beat. I'm your host, Kevin Nguyen. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of hosting our inaugural episode, where I'll be speaking with Jamil Begg. Jamil is a partner at 5AM Ventures, a leading venture capital firm focused on building next-generation life science companies. At 5AM, Jamil has led numerous investments across the life science space and has stepped into interim operating roles within 5AM portfolio companies as part of the 459 initiative. Prior to 5AM, Jamil was a senior director at Sage Therapeutics, where he was instrumental in building the company through his leadership across a variety of functions, from business development and corporate strategy to medical affairs and commercialization. Jamil earned his bachelor's in bioengineering and master's of biotechnology degrees from the University of Pennsylvania and his MBA in healthcare management and entrepreneurial management from the Wharton School. I'm so incredibly excited to invite you into our conversation. So please join me and Jamil Begg on LifeSide Beat. Jamil, welcome to LifeSide Beat. It's such a pleasure to have you on today. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Absolutely. So to kick things off, here at LifeSide Beat, we like to get personal. So can you start by telling us, where did you grow up and what did you want to be when you grew up? Sure, absolutely. So I, I grew up in the Philadelphia area. Both my parents emigrated to the U.S. when they were uh, pretty young, uh, and they, they met in school here uh, in the Philadelphia area. And as probably many children of immigrants can relate to, uh, my career options uh, were doctor, engineer, or lawyer. <laughs> and so I really always just gravitated more towards that kind of engineer phenotype, product design. I liked thinking about taking technologies and kind of solving a, a problem, creating a product. And I, I remember a couple different uh, instances growing up of taking things apart, you know, whether it was my dad's SLR camera or, or other things, you know, the, the lawnmower here, there, to really just get to the nuts and bolts of, of how things worked. And then in high school, gravitated towards you know, chemistry and, and biology and applied to the chemical engineering program at Penn. I was relatively short-lived uh, in the chemical engineering program and, and switched over to bioengineering, which just was this super exciting, sexy field that I'll say even the bioengineers didn't really exactly know what it was at that time. And uh, it was everything from cellular engineering, gene therapy, biologic manufacturing, but it was also electrical engineering, artificial eyes, or mechanically engineering prosthetics and implants. Mm -hmm. It was really a little bit of everything. And then I uh, took a class uh, in my junior year called engineering entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. which was really about taking a technology, creating a product that solves an unmet need. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you think about the competition and how to develop that product and, and really gained exposure to how do you finance a company? What's a startup? What are venture capitalists? Uh, and really, that was the first exposure that I had to mm -hmm. the biotech business model and venture capital model. And so I came out of that course saying, I want to be a venture capitalist. Really, at the end, not knowing exactly what that meant, but but having a good idea at least at the start. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that sounds exactly like the type of work you do now as a partner at 5AM. But before we get there, I want to spend time on the beginnings of your career. So can you share with us your career journey and the inflection points you face along the way? Absolutely. Okay, where, where to start? So I, I studied bioengineering as an undergraduate, effectively submatriculated into the Master of Biotechnology degree at, at Penn as well, and then came out of that degree feeling like I had a solid understanding of the science and molecular biology and got the high level phase one, phase two, phase three clinical trials. But I didn't really know kind of how the industry worked. And, and you really don't get that exposure until you're really in it. And a lot of friends and probably many, many folks have gone down this path of going into management consulting. And this was very specifically for the pharma biotech industry. And it was really a fantastic experience because I learned a lot about the industry, who the key stakeholders are and were at the time, patients, payers, providers, and the other groups in between, how they think and, and how they make decisions and understanding those dynamics just gave me a very solid core foundation of how the industry works across preclinical, clinical, commercial stages of a product and of a company. And then consulting was also great because it really builds a lot of business skills, you know, presentation skills, primary, secondary research skills, data analysis. And as every consultant uh, knows, you know, you're working hard and you, you work hard and you learn fast as a result. And you're gaining a lot more exposure, I think, faster than potentially in, in other roles. I always knew in the back of my mind that I wanted to seek a role in venture capital. And I was very fortunate to be able to join a fund back then, uh, and I'm now old enough to say back then, <laughs> there, weren't, uh, there weren't kind of pre-MBA roles at venture funds, uh, and so there were, there were very few. I basically got lucky, and, and I think that was a, uh, an incredible experience to basically take what I learned in the consulting role and really widen the aperture. And so apply a lot of the, those due diligence skills that I learned um, while consulting to a much broader range of issues and topics for evaluating biotech startups. And so getting to look at not just you know, the competitive dynamic uh, or competitive landscape, uh, the target product profile and the clinical trial designs or something like that, but also, What's going to take to manufacture this product? What's the intellectual property look like? What's the financing strategy? Does the management team have all the core skills that they need? Or, or how would you need to enhance and build upon the management team to, to have a successful company? And so it was just a, a fantastic uh, experience. And you're just kind of drinking from the fire hose the entire time, learning every single day. You're learning a lot whether it's science, strategy, or, or people issues and topics. I remember interacting, engaging with patient advocacy, parents of patients who had been treated in our clinical trials, and it's just hugely motivating. Uh, and so I, I ended up actually deferring from Morton for, uh, for a year to work with two of our portfolio companies. And one was 
a neuroscience company, one was an oncology company, and they were really at the opposite ends of the spectrum of drug development. Um, mm -hmm. One was nearing registration of its first product um, and was thinking about the commercial launch, business development, the public markets. And the other was a, a preclinical biotech thinking about its first IND filing and going into a human study and, and thinking about what's the pipeline going to look like in the future. Mm -hmm. And I had an incredible experience working with uh, those two management teams uh, to help advance those, those drugs and those companies and, and always incredibly rewarding to see when a drug actually gets approved, a company goes public and then subsequently gets acquired down the line. And then did after a, a terrific year of working at those two startups and an amazing three month backpacking and scuba diving trip through you know, Turkey, Egypt, and Southeast Asia uh, mm -hmm. was able to uh, start at, at Morton. Yeah. So it sounds like right out the gate after undergrad, you had the opportunity to, to work across, you know, the healthcare continuum. Why not keep going? Why did you decide to, to stop there and, and come back to Penn to pursue your MBA? I think one of the things that was really driving me was learning about leadership and building organizations and building teams and leading teams. And, and that was, I think, a real differentiator for me as I thought about business schools, mm -hmm. um, where Wharton just had so many great programs to foster that leadership development. And I, and I kind of tried to soak up as many of those as I could while I was uh, in school. And then of course, wanted to build a, you know, a, a phenomenal network of classmates, alumni, professors, um, and, and really gain access to opportunities that would otherwise, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't have been accessible. And I think that's, that's a big uh, component as well that was incredibly helpful to me in my career. I think about business school as a way to accelerate your career. And, and that's exactly what, what I was fortunate to be able to have happen with, with mine. Well, as a first-year MBA student, it's music to my ears that you had such a fantastic experience at, at Wharton. Um, so, okay, pre-MBA, you started your career in management consulting and transitioned into investing. Um, but post-MBA, you decided to pivot fully to the operating side by joining a company called Sage Therapeutics as an early employee. So Sage at, at the time was, you know, a, a small private biotech company with less than 10 employees. So what drew you to Sage and why did you decide to go with a small startup versus a large company? So I, maybe I'd start off and say, I wouldn't necessarily say I pivoted. Uh, I think it's a bit of a natural progression to go from kind of the, the investing to the I think especially right. world uh, where the, the lines of investor and operator are blurred. And so having that mm -hmm. is incredibly valuable. I think back to uh, one of my old bosses uh, said to me, and this is Brenda Gavin, one of the godmothers of biotech venture capital. Um, she said to me as I was coming out of uh, Wharton, get a real job, go develop some drugs so that when you're sitting on boards later in your career, you will have walked in the shoes of those CEOs and understand 
truly how they're feeling, how they're thinking, and can provide them with that much better advice, insights, guidance, and, and help. That resonated with me, and, and that was a big driver for going into the small biotech versus the large biotech. I did have uh, many discussions with larger biotech companies, and there's some great companies out there. But at the end, I, I talked to a lot of people who had been in the industry, both big companies and small companies, and they basically said to me at the end, the advice they gave was, if you want to work in biotech startups, and if you want to go build companies, go work in biotech startups and go build companies or you're going to learn it at the end of the day. And you could go to a big pharma and get a business development deal sheet that's 10 pages long and you could go to a biotech startup and it's a completely different job. BD on the buy side of a large company is very different from sell side BD. I call it the gopher role because you go for this and you go for that and you basically do whatever role is necessary to make the company successful. Sage uh, was at this really interesting kind of time point. I'd gotten a lot of exposure to neuroscience investing while at Quaker. And a couple of the things that really resonated were one, I, I wanted to go to a company that had great people, first and foremost, mm -hmm. two, great investors, um, that were going to support the company and, and had good track records and where I was going to have the opportunity to raise my hand and do things that I had never done before. Uh, and as the ninth employee at the company, I was called the business guy for the first couple of years because everybody else was a chemist or a biologist um, working on, on the programs. I got to take a lot of ownership and responsibility that I probably wouldn't have been able to at a larger company. And just the snapshot of Sage at the time, um, you know, it was a small molecule neuroscience company. I'd say right as we were coming out of a couple very big failures in the neuroscience space, they're notoriously challenging to do drug development in neuroscience. Uh, and I won't go through all the reasons, but there are many. Uh, and really the Sage strategy, which we were developing and refining over the first couple of years was to say, how are we going to do neuroscience drug development differently to overcome those challenges? Because we need to develop medicines for patients. And some of the largest unmet needs still exist in the fields of neuroscience, neuropsychiatry, mm -hmm. epilepsy, neurodegeneration, pain, you name it. Um, there's huge, huge market opportunities, which is why at the end of the day, large pharmaceutical companies continue, many of them, to invest heavily in neuroscience programs, even though the probabilities of technical success are more challenging. They're lower. If you think about the predictability of preclinical models and assay systems into clinical studies to registration endpoints to FDA approved or registration products. I think there was a lot of hesitancy when we went out to raise our subsequent financings, uh, or at least the, the first subsequent financing. But then really, I think the when, when people really started to get the strategy and see how we were different, 
we were able to really get the flywheel going and gain a, an incredible amount of momentum for the company and for the programs. And we went from a preclinical biotech treating a one patient in a compassionate use setting to three registration studies across two different indications with the lead molecule within just a couple of years, which is an incredible story. We, you know, we always refer to it as you know, the rocket ship going, uh, taking off. Uh, and, uh, and it absolutely was during that time. It was, it was a phenomenal period to grow with the company as well, where we went from mm-hmm. less than 10 employees to 200 plus in, in just a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you joined Sage and helped grow the company from a small private biotech company to ultimately a public company trading at a multi-billion dollar valuation in just a few years. So now that progression is sounds really rapid, and I'm sure there must have been some major business challenges that you and your team faced along the way. Could you help us understand maybe one or two of those business challenges, not necessarily scientific challenges, scaling the company? from an early clinical stage company to ultimately what it is today, a commercial stage with an FDA approved product. I think one of the biggest challenges that every biotech faces is how do you create value and manage risk at the same time? Mm -hmm. And how do you do those things without sacrificing your, your ability to move as fast as possible and be as nimble. And so you you want to set a strategy, you want to execute on that strategy, but you've also got to be flexible and think about interpreting the data and the situation uh, that you're in and the market dynamics. There are a lot of factors that go into that, that inform your corporate strategy. You don't want to be so rigid with your, we're executing on this and ignore the other factors out there then you know, you're so rigid, you, it can break, right? But you also don't want to be so flexible that you're changing strategy every month and you know, there's no focus and the team can't actually successfully execute because you're changing the goal line uh, over and over again. Can you describe your role specifically, maybe what it was when you first started and how did it evolve over the years? So when I first started, uh, there was still a lot of you know, the, the strategy, planning, portfolio prioritization work um, that, that needed to be done. And that was kind of bread and butter for a, a management consultant to, to go in and, and work on that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then there was a lot of fundraising, investor relations, business development work, because going and asking investors for money is not so different from going and asking pharma companies for, for money. Uh, mm-hmm. And so... Um, that was really the core of uh, the, the focus in the early days. So saying, where are we going to be able to create value across our pipeline and which programs should we prioritize and invest in? Because what, what's built to you know, products and data sets that larger pharma are going to appreciate and that, that data is going to resonate with them as adding value, de-risking, giving a higher probability of technical success, however you want to put it. Um, but then also investors um, would, would value and think about a Series B financing uh, and subsequent financings, the public markets, and what does that look like all coming together? And so that was uh, a lot of the early work, your know, business cases on 
different programs? How does the portfolio fit together? Things like that. And then that have also evolved into sitting on what are called the core teams or the program teams as the researchers and drug developers are saying, what are the next, next sets of experiments uh, we need to run to advance these molecules into clinical development and through the clinic? And I'd say that's really where I learned drug development, you know, mm-hmm. fly on the wall in those, in those rooms, but also as the commercial strategic voice that's owning kind of the target product profile. So that the team isn't just moving forward to get a drug approved that regulators are going to approve, but something that's going to be commercially of interest or truly solve the patient need. And then really the, the, what I call the IPO gateway, uh, you know, people call it a window, but so many companies have gone public. I I think it's a gateway uh, (laughs) opened up and it was an incredible opportunity for the company to push forward to the public markets in an early stage, you know, do just the first few patients worth the data. Um, and we were able to raise an incredible amount of capital um, to, to basically remove the need for partnerships with larger pharma and be able to advance those programs. And so as the company evolved, raised public dollars, raised follow-on dollars, and were well capitalized to move those programs into registration, there's less business development work to be done and more commercial preparation to be done. We had done a tremendous amount of commercial planning. Mm -hmm. And at one point we said to ourselves, we have to start commercial doing if we're actually going to launch these drugs. Mm -hmm. And so building out the the organization and becoming the commercial brand lead for that lead program was an incredible leadership opportunity for me to to take on uh, more uh, and learn and grow under uh, the mentorship of a chief commercial officer who had launched, you know, 15 plus drugs uh, in his career. Right. And that, you know, diverse set of experience led you here to 5AM Ventures where you are today. Um, Could you give us a brief intro to 5AM and the type of work that your team does? So 5AM's been investing for about 20 years now. The fund uh, has has a tremendous track record of success, actually getting medicines approved. I think we've got just about 15 or more therapeutics approved from about 100 portfolio companies over that nearly two decade investing experience. And that's something we're, we're really proud of. Um, we're investing across therapeutic areas, across modalities, uh, and across stages of development. Sometimes we're getting in extremely early, multiple years before the first IND filings for really transformational platforms. But also sometimes we're investing in spinouts from from larger pharma where we might have some proprietary insights about positioning a product for success uh, in a different patient population or, or different indication or things like that. And so the type of work we do is really trying to partner with amazing academics and entrepreneurs to build successful companies that are developing medicines for patients. Great. Given the pace of innovation and increasing number of companies and even funds investing in the life science space today, I imagine being a life science investor now seems trickier than ever before. What is the biggest challenge with being a life science investor today? Undoubtedly, 
this is one of the most exciting times in the biotech industry. And every decade is more exciting than the last in terms of the level of innovation, in terms of new novel modalities, and the deeper understanding of biology and disease pathophysiology that allows us to potentially develop transformational medicines for patients. So I actually think this is a high quality problem to have, but the biggest challenge is how do we spend our time on, on, the, on the, the very best ideas, the most transformational uh, ideas? Because there are a tr tremendous number of fantastic ideas out there. Uh, you know, everybody at 5 a.m. is motivated because we do want to develop medicines. Right, right. Um, so in the face of, you know, so much potential and so much innovation, what is 5AM doing to stay even further ahead of the curve? Well, as you know, as a former 5AM employee, uh, <laughs> uh, we've got what we call the 459 initiative. And this is really two key, I'll say, verticals of this initiative is one, having a think tank that can, that can do exactly what you said, stay ahead of the curve. So we're constantly scouring the literature, reading primary research as it's getting published, even before it's published uh, oftentimes because we've built relationships with the academic institutions, the researchers. We're proactively doing white space analyses on given technologies or areas of biology so that when things do pop up, we're ready and we know the field, we know the landscape and can move very quickly. Um, we're also constantly bringing in academics to a speaker series and journal clubs that we have. And we're talking about uh, the science literally every single day in the halls, in the lunchroom, by the water cooler, because we love it and we're passionate about it. Absolutely. And as early stage investors, 5AM is not only involved as an investor in the company at this stage, but also board member and even interim CEO or CSO. So given how close you are to these companies and the management teams, what advice would you give to first time or early career entrepreneurs? Yeah, it's, it's actually one of the reasons why I joined 5AM was to be in that early bio entrepreneurship type of role, to step in as an interim CEO, to write the business plan, license the technology, get it up and running, start building the team uh, and, and having that kind of close knit dynamic with your fellow entrepreneurs saying, let's go launch a company and let's go do something big. Uh, and, and so the advice I would give to a first time or you know, first time CEO would be dream big and go big uh, with, with those aspirations. Right, right. So what emerging trends are you and the 5AM team seeing and are most excited about? Are there any new scientific breakthroughs that you're looking to spend more time in? Absolutely. Like I said, I think there are there's almost too many ideas <laughs> out there uh, for us to, to keep on top of. But uh, overall, there have been such great advances in terms of approaches for gene therapy. I think we're making good steps. Uh, not quite there yet. I think there have been some early successes with the rare monogenic diseases to prove out the approach and the technology. 
and or what I would call broadly genetic medicine. So there's gene therapies, there are cell therapies that have had genetic engineering. There are uh, gene editing approaches uh, out there. There are even you know, ASOs, siRNAs out there. And our ability to actually make these into medicines is a huge, huge breakthrough. With recent approvals in the last you know, five, five, six years of some of these first in-class modalities, it's opened the floodgates to all these other opportunities. And I think the big step next is to really think about how can these be leveraged to, to treat a broader set of diseases and where the risk reward profile makes sense. Because these are complex modalities and there are risks associated with them. And so you know, what are the right um, diseases where the benefit outweighs that risk? Finding and positioning those technologies into the right indications uh, will be, I think, challenging, but also rewarding over the coming years. Thank you for sharing that. That's incredibly exciting. To wrap up here, the goal of our podcast, LifeSide Beat, is to inspire the next generation of business leaders in life science. So what message would you give to an early career business-minded professional looking to build a career in life science? Yeah, that's, that's a tough one, Kevin. I think first and foremost, You've got to love what you do and really people to the, to the best of their ability of following their passions will lead to, I think, long-term happiness at the end of the day. I imagine most people listening to this are you know, type A, hardworking business school students or uh, alumni, and you're going to work hard and, uh, and so you should enjoy it. I think the second, never stop learning, always push yourself, challenge yourself, and seek new ways of, of thinking about things. Maybe third, find great people to work with, whether they're your bosses or your coworkers or your reports, people that you respect, trust, that you can learn from, you can teach and build real relationships uh, with those people. And then maybe the last one would be pay it forward. You know, if you're getting mentored, then spend time mentoring people um, and, and build, build a lasting community. Again, going back to relationships uh, with, with other people. Well, that's fantastic advice. And on your point about working with or for great people, I feel Absolutely privileged to have worked with you at 5 a.m. And thank you so much for taking the time to jump on our podcast today. Absolutely, Kevin. The pleasure was all mine. And thanks again for having me.